Welcome to the Uncommon Church Podcast. We're so glad you've decided to join us today. We hope that today's message helps you to know God, grow strong in your faith, and do all that the Lord has created you to do. A couple of months ago, I reached out to uh, an old friend of ours from the Brownsville Revival days. Uh, Scott Volk is here this morning, and um, Scott is a, a Messianic believer. He's a Jewish believer in Jesus. His wife is an Arab. It's just a beautiful picture of, of, the, of the body of Christ coming together. And um, I said, hey, would you be willing to fly out to Dallas and do our Passover Seder with us and then stay and preach on uh, Sunday? And then I forgot it was Easter, so I, I took that back. Um, and, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to. And then he got back. He's like, oh, no, I'm actually booked at another church uh, to do their Passover. But um, I, I text him like, well, I want to book you for 2023 to do our Passover next year. Uh, I said, well, if you can't make it for Passover, why don't you just come for Sunday, March 27th and just bless our socks off and, and, and share the word. So, uh, so Scott's here and he's going to share in a moment. I want you to pull your phone out and uh, on Facebook, follow Together for Israel. Uh, Together for Israel, that's Scott's ministry. Ministry, and they do an unbelievable work uh, for the poor in Israel, which just is always moves our heart with compassion. So every year we take a big offering for Israel at Passover. So this year, um, we'll probably split it right down the middle. Half of our Passover offering is gonna go to Together for Israel. So, um, so you might as well just start following them now and getting excited for them now. And every time they launch a new initiative, I say Facebook because their Instagram be lacking, but uh, their Facebook's really good. So, um, so maybe you Instagrammers could go there and help them to bump it up a little bit and get it going. Uh, so it follow both. But um, he's just, he was a leader uh, during the Brownsville Revival. Uh, he, um, he, he has been in every uh, amazing church around the world. Uh, he's just a powerful, uh, m- wise minister of the gospel. Would you please welcome my friend, Scott Volk. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, I love you. You a fake hug. <laughs> Brad just said, come here, give me a fake hug. <laughs> oh, well, Brad didn't tell you the whole story. He called me and um, asked me if I could be here on March, and we, we decided I was going to be here on March 20th, which was last week. And a week or two before March 20th, he said, my secretary still hasn't heard from you about March 20th, and I looked at my calendar, and there was another church on March 20th that I needed to be at, which was last week in Orlando. And that has never once happened to me in my life. But Brad was so gracious. He said, no problem. So I'm here today. I am here today. When I I landed at the airport yesterday, I I texted Brad. I said, "Um, I'm at A29 uh, pickup over at DFW, he goes, oh shoot, I'm at Magnolia, I forgot you were coming. So he was trying to give it back to me. <laughs> at Brad. <laughs> did you, by the way, when you were talking about um, renovating, did you hear him say he's taking the ceiling out? So I'm thinking, is that like Texas Stadium style where, where it's just an open, open, that'd be amazing, a little retractable. <laughs> anyway, oh wow, I'm getting off to a crazy start here. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, I never, ever, ever take speaking for granted. Uh, We we don't know what's going to happen next week. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I feel like, okay, if we can just seize every moment and, and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Then we're in a good place. Because if you guys have been around the last couple of years, things haven't been exactly like we planned them to be. And sometimes in the midst of like craziness, uh, the Lord wants his reality to be our reality. And I really, I'm just thankful to be here today. And I feel like I have a word from the Lord for you. I want to Weave it together. I think it's an important word where Israel is, is concerned. I think it's an important word where Uncommon Church is concerned. And I, I believe it's an important word for you. So I'd like to stand together if we would. You know, the Bible, the Bible says, I believe, therefore I speak. You know that? You know that our words are important? I had a, I had a friend 
I say he was a friend. He came, he came to our church. He actually dedicated our church in Arizona uh, when I was there 30-something years ago. His name is Derek Prince. You may have heard of him. Amazing teacher of the word. But he talks about proclamations. Sometimes the things that come out of our mouth are really slightly unfortunate. Like, I'm never going to make it. <laughs> I'm never going to get out of this slump that I'm in. Words are powerful. And the Bible says, I believe, therefore I speak. So I want to start with the proclamation today. Can we do it? Now, the proclamation is from the Bible. So don't be afraid to speak it out with me. I'm not asking you to speak something that you don't believe. And if you don't believe the Bible today, I'm glad you're here. You're in the right place. And if you do believe the Bible, you're in the right place. So I have a proclamation that we're going to start with. I don't know if it's going to be... Oh, there it is. This is right out of Romans 4. Let's say it together, can we? We believe in God who gives life to the dead and speaks into being that which does not exist. Let's say it again. We believe in God who gives life to the dead and speaks into being that which does not exist. Just stay standing for a second. Throughout the word... There's an undeniable pattern in scripture, and that is this. God gives life to the dead. God is actually attracted to dead things. <laughs> As a matter of fact, when he created man, he took dust from the earth and saw potential in dust. How many of you see, you know what I think about dust? Get it out of here. <laughs> Let's sweep this out. As a matter of fact, as Jewish homes around the world are getting ready for Passover, they're ridding their house of dust. I hate dust. But God sees something in dust that you and I don't see, and he breathes his life into it. And look around at some dust. Here we are. Because God gives life to the dead. And today I believe that dead things are going to come to life. I believe that, that dreams and promises that God have, has spoken that have been long since forgotten by you because they haven't yet come to pass are about to be ignited inside of us. And hope and faith is going to rise because God is here. Father, in Jesus' name. I pray that you would take human words today and supplement your Holy Spirit. Lord, that life would be spoken and life would be received. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to, uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever done that before, but I just did. <laughs> I like to be close. So, I won't get too close that you'll get spit, but if you do, I've had COVID twice and I'm fine. As a matter of fact, um, when, if, if you ever go to Israel, your tour guide might tell you that the spit of a Jewish person actually was believed to have healing in it. So when Jesus actually spit on the, the blind man, anyway, I'm not going to test it out today. <laughs> I am, you know, Brad said this, I took my, I took my, over COVID, I took my um, Ancestry.com. I don't know how many of you have done that where you, you actually spit and, and you send it in and they tell you your ethnicity and DNA. And I mean, I come from a Jewish home, but I wasn't sure, like, okay, how much percent am I Jewish? And how much am I whatever? And the, the DNA came back, the test. I got it on my phone. It's crazy. 100% Jew. And I, I, said, I, said to, I said to my parents, I said, are you kidding me? Are you telling me that nobody in our family line has married outside of Jewish DNA? And they, they said, I guess not. Until me. <laughs> I mean, I married an Arab. Come on. I, I changed that DNA right down the line. So my kids, 
My kids are a little bit of Ishmael and a little bit of Isaac, which is really cool. Because in the end, can I just tell you, in the end, church, there, there's, no, uh, there's no neighborhoods in heaven. You know that? In Jerusalem right now, you have a Jewish quarter, a Muslim quarter, an Arab quarter, and a Christian quarter. In the United States, you have black churches, white churches, Hispanic churches. Can I tell you something? When we get to that final, ultimate, eternal place, it's every tribe, tongue, people, and nation worshiping together. That's, that's a picture. That's a picture of heaven. And I love seeing various colors of faces here. Bravo, because the church is not supposed to be a building that we go to. We're a family. And when you look at God's family, you see every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But here's why you do. Because God chose one family to bring life to every family. Do you know that you and all of your relatives were dead in trespasses and sin? And God wanted to reverse the curse of Eden. And he needed a family through whom life would come because he's the God that gives life to the dead. There was no such thing as death in creation. Everything was life-giving, it was breathing, it was good. And then in the garden, man and woman partook of the fruit. And God said, in the day you eat of it, you surely will die. There are some things in heaven that we will not see. One is a mortuary. <laughs> Could you imagine getting up to heaven and seeing a... a, a Cemetery, big word, thank you. <laughs> Cemetery, wouldn't that stink? No cemeteries in heaven. No hospitals in heaven. No doctors, well, doctors will make it to heaven, but you're not gonna be practicing. <laughs> lawyers, well, no, they'll make it to heaven too. Any lawyers in here today? Come on, God bless you. That was a bad, would you forgive me, bro? I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. <clears throat> the world needs more kingdom lawyers. That's for sure. But there are certain things you're not going to see in heaven. And one of them is a cemetery because God is a God of life. So he has to find one family on earth who he can choose. That would be the family that would birth the Messiah. Okay, God cared enough about every nation of the earth that he chose to send his only son and he was looking for a family through whom he could send it. And he chose Abraham. Matthew chapter one, verse one says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Let's start today by opening up to Genesis chapter 11. God's about to give Abram a promise. It was going to be the amazing promise that through Abram, every nation of the earth, not just Israel, every nation of the earth would be blessed. It was going to necessitate Abram being the father of nations. And by the way, does anybody know what Abram means? Father? Father of many. Actually, Abraham, very good, means father of many. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of multitudes. You know what's crazy about Abram's name? It was the exact opposite of who he was. He lived with a name that defied his reality. And then God changed his name from exalted father to father of multitudes, and still Abraham had no kids. Words are important to God, and names are important to God. If my mother named me Harry One, you would laugh, because it just ain't so. 
Unfortunately, my nose and ears have hair in them. Trying to figure out how to manage that. Bring my little scissors with me. Man, I'm feeling at home here, bro. (laughs) Got my little scissors. But if I had the name Harry One, people would go, dude, that's the wrong name for you. Imagine how Abram lived for 99 years of his life. A name given by God. Some of you have promises of God on your life right now. And maybe you've proclaimed some of those promises to people, but your circumstances are directly opposite to what God said. How do you respond? Friends, can I give you the answer? You believe in God who gives life to the dead. You believe in God who speaks into being that which does not exist. So Abram has to choose a wife before this big promise from God comes. Check this out. Genesis chapter 11, verse 29. Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah. Check out verse 30. Sarai was barren. She had no children. Do you think God was up in, up in heaven looking down at Abram as he's trying to figure out who he's going to marry? And he gets near a woman with barrenness, who's barren, whose womb is dead. You think God's going, don't do it. Not her. She can't have kids. Go over here. Here's some fertile women over here. Just pick one of them, please, because I'm going to promise that you're going to have kids. No. Deadness does not bother God at all. Because he sees potential. Unfortunately, maybe sometimes our living and our confidence in ourselves is the very thing that is keeping us from receiving the promises that God has for us. If I were to give you a point, the first point would be this. God begins with barrenness. If you've received a promise from the Lord that's possible for you to fulfill in your flesh. Can I just say this? I don't believe that that promise was from God. He's not going to speak to you and promise you something that you can do yourself. You can promise yourself that. God kinds of promises go beyond your ability to fulfill them on your own. And that's why you have to hold on to the God who gives life to the dead. Barrenness is something that It marks you. It's something that you you may be ashamed of. Pastored for numbers of years at a local church, and I remember when Mother's Day would come, and certain women in our congregation wouldn't show up on that day because the grief of still not having the child that they felt like God promised them is still not there. And they couldn't rejoice on Mother's Day. As a matter of fact, they hated Mother's Day. You hide. Not just barren wombs. I mean, look, (laughs) I've got a barren head. When I was 23, I got married. And I started, just had this little... Little tiny spot up here that I could check out if I looked at the right. In the mirror, it was like right there. And I'm like, I would comb it over. (laughs) Then my hair just started going away. And then I was like, okay, what do do I do? (laughs) So I was watching TV one night. This is back in the 80s. And the Helsinki Formula commercial was on. Some of you may remember that. Helsinki for me. You had a guy talking and there was a before and after picture. The before picture was not this bad, but almost the after picture. He's swimming and his hair's going everywhere and the camera's on him in the pool. And I'm like, I want that $50 on my credit card. The stuff comes in the mail. I'm rubbing it in my head. Some, some person said, 
you know, this is before the days of Google and all that, but somebody said, Scott, listen here, this worked for my friend. Crack two eggs, uh, whip them up, put them, uh, rub it into your head, put uh, uh, saran wrap on your head. Did somebody say saran wrap out here? You tried that too? Who did? Who said saran wrap? <laughs> put saran wrap on your head and then tin foil over it and do it. I tried it. It didn't work. We, we, try to, we try to cover our barrenness. I was, um, my son Jonathan, this is in the Pensacola days. My son Jonathan was seven. Thankfully, he's got a, well, not so thankfully. He's got a full head of hair right now. He's 30. Good looking boy. But when he was seven or eight, he had just gotten out of the shower. It was bedtime. And back in those days, I used to blow dry what was left of my hair. And so I take the blow dryer out and I'm blow drying Jonathan's hair. And I said, I'm gonna blow dry your hair just like daddy's. And he starts crying. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you crying for? I don't want my hair to look like yours. We, we try to hide our barrenness. We, we don't like it. But can I tell you something? God's attracted to it. Because he can be glorified through it. There may be one or more of you who are believing for children. It's a promise from God. Can I tell you, don't let go of it? Well, Scott, my doctor said, your doctor? No doctors in heaven. I mean, doctor, former doctors in heaven. <laughs> we got this. What are we trusting in? Sarai was barren. God wasn't freaking out saying you need to choose another wife. God was setting the stage for the impossible to become possible. Genesis 12 verse one, the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, your relatives from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. How crazy. He can't have kids. I will bless you and make your name great. And so it shall be a blessing I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old. Everybody say 75. 75. How'd you like to be 75? And your wife comes in and says, Ah, oh, honey, <laughs> I think I'm pregnant. You would laugh. By the way, that's why Isaac was named laughter. He was, Abram wasn't 75, he was 100. We'll get there. I have five kids, 32, 30, 29, 27, and 12. <laughs> I wasn't laughing when we found out. I was 44 years old, 44, and my wife was 44, and 44-year-old women and men don't start over. She's the best surprise that ever happened to us, but I thought I was big stuff, 44. Check me out. She's 12 now. I took her to the daddy-daughter dance when she was in second grade, and one of her friends came over and said, um, is this your grandfather? I was like, get out of here. You're supposed to have kids when you're young, when you're, when you're vibrant. 75. Can you imagine living 75 years with a name that contradicted your reality? Point number one, God begins with barrenness. Flip over to Genesis chapter 15. Abram is 83. Everybody say 83. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, do not fear, Abram. I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, oh Lord, what wilt thou give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram said, since you've given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Listen, this is what Abram's doing. He's got this great promise from God. He's going to have a name that continues on. I don't know if Abram knew that he was going to be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah. I don't know what was in his heart, but that's what was in God's heart. He's 85, 83. How old is he? He's 83 years old here. So this is what God says. 
I'm going to do it for you, Abe. He goes, listen, Lord, I'm, this is the Scott Volk version. Listen, I'm 83 years old. Sarai's 73. She's barren, impossible to have kids. Let Eliezer be the heir because in those days, if you didn't produce a son, the son of a relative could become the heir that carries on the promise. You following me? So Abram is saying, Lord, I've got a great idea for you. I'm going to bail you out. Just let Eliezer be the heir. He's already alive. And by, that's the custom anyway. Nobody, nobody will blink twice at it. Oh, the last thing we want to do is try to get God out of a promise he made. Don't dummy down God's promise. Well, maybe he didn't promise me exactly the way I heard it. Look what God says. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one who is one who will come from your own body will be your heir. But Lord, I'm 83. You ever try to dummy down the promises of God? You ever try to minimalize a word that the Lord's giving you because it's not yet come to pass? I'll, I'll tell you just one. I talk about this sometimes when we talk about fasting. I am the worst faster in the world. I stink at fasting. And I, I remember one story. I was, um, Beth and I were married maybe five, six years, and I woke up in the morning and I was reading all these books on revival. And I said, Beth, I'm going to fast today. She says, great. What, what kind of fast are you doing? I said, water. <laughs> she said, how long are you going? I don't know, but I'm doing it. Said, great, honey, you, you go. Well, that was at 8 a.m. <laughs> at noon, I believed the Lord was calling me to a juice fast. And at 5 p.m., it became a Daniel fast. <laughs> because I just, I took what I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and man, I was really thirsty at noon, not for water. So I just kind of changed it a little bit. Still fasting. We, we do that with promises sometimes. What has God spoken to you? What, is, what has he given to you? Brad and I were talking yesterday about words that people receive. What do you do with these words that you believe are from the Lord, but your circumstances seem to be actually maybe even opposite to what the Lord spoke? Man, there's, I could go on all day. <laughs> One coming forth from your own body. Well, it wasn't working. Flip over to Genesis chapter 16. Abram's 85 this is a couple of years later. It's point number one. God begins with barrenness. Point number two, avoid the Eliezer solution. Point number three, avoid the Hagar solution. Check this out. 16.1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. I'm sure Sarah, Sarai's name was changed to Sarah. I knew Sarah. I, I would venture to say that Sarah knew what God had spoken to Abram. You tell your wife, you, you, you said, honey, you're not going to believe this. Our name's going to be great. Man, kings are coming from our, our union. She had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And Ishmael was born. Now, can I tell you something? Ishmael isn't evil. You need to listen closely. I used to, I used to say this phrase, be careful about birthing an Ishmael. Until one day, a son of Ishmael was in the crowd that I said it to. And he walks over to me and he said, bro, I loved your message, but I'm an Ishmaelite. 
And when you say that, it hurts me. Like, imagine if somebody said, be careful of birthing a Jew. <laughs> be, care be careful of birthing a Norwegian. Here's the issue. Ishmael was not the promised son, but can I tell you something about Ishmael? Even though this wasn't like God's plan, I'm not going to talk about predestination at all right now. But God had a plan for Isaac. And even though Ishmael wasn't part of that plan, as a matter of fact, when in Genesis 22, when God told Abram, Abraham to put Isaac on the altar, he referred to Isaac as his only son. But do you know that Ishmael, I believe, is the first named person by God in the Bible before he was born? I could be wrong. If not the first, the second. God loved Ishmael enough. God was going to look to take the situation that was not part of the solution for Abram's promise, and he's going to use Ishmael. Do you believe that? Do you know that there are sons of Ishmael that are having dreams in the middle of the night right now of Jesus at the foot of their bed and they go from Israel haters to Jew lovers? Do you know that Ishmael and Isaac buried Abram together? So here I'm thinking in my house, it's kind of bizarre. I've got Isaac and I've got Ishmael. That's pretty crazy. That, the, that my, my wife's people have come from this line. But here's what the Hagar solution is. The Hagar solution is, listen, <laughs> God's given us this, pro, this promise a while ago, and it's just not coming to pass, so let's fulfill it in our own ingenuity. Let's take matters into our own hands. You know what happens when you take matters into your own hands? you actually create a situation that is going to be ultimately opposed to the very thing that God promised you. Today, Ishmael and Isaac are at odds by and large with each other. Just go live in Israel. Brad and Josie were there. As a matter of fact, one of the first times ever in Israel, I was there at the conference in 2002, three, something, 2000 something. And in the middle of the conference, there were, there, I think there were maybe 1,200 or 1,500 people there. It was the largest gathering, if I remember, of Jewish and Arab people maybe ever in Israel at a believing conference. The Jews over here, the Arabs over here. I actually had an interpreter, when, interpreter to hear that, however, I'm 57 with the voice of an 18-year-old going through puberty. So I had, a, I had an interpreter and he was interpreting my English into Arabic and Hebrew. And in the middle of, of the message, people's phones are going off. Ding, 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 ding. Terror attacks all around going on. It's called an intifada. There were, it was just uprisings. Isaac and Ishmael. The Hagar solution is taking matters into your own hands when your God-given promise is not yet fulfilled. Friends, avoid the Eliezer solution. You don't have to dummy down God's promise. Avoid the Hagar solution. You don't have to do it yourself. And if you do, trouble's coming. <laughs> My final point, but I'm not closing because I was told that when pastor says he's closing, it's 20 more minutes. So this is my last point, but I'm not closing yet. Wait for the appointed time. Friends, there's an appointed time for God's promises to be fulfilled in your life. But can I just tell this to you? The way you respond between the promise and the appointed time is everything. You want peace? You want shalom in your hearts? Wait for the appointed time. You guys are going to be celebrating a Passover. By the way, how many of you have signed up for Passover? Can I just see your hands? Amazing. Bravo for those who have signed up. Can I encourage those of you who have not yet signed up? Please listen to me. It's important for you to sign up. Let me tell you why. Because Passover is an appointed time. In the book of Leviticus, God 
sets up appointed times where he's going to meet with his people. There was an appointed time for this promise to be fulfilled. Passover is an, an appointed time. And in the life of Israel 3,500 years ago, these are just the days before Passover. Do you know what was going on in, in Egypt with the Hebrews? Their promise of a promised land couldn't have looked further away from reality. Right now, back up the clock to just two weeks. How far are we away from Passover? Three, three weeks before Passover, it was the darkest time maybe in Israel's history today. Oh, God gave us a promise of, of being in a land flowing with milk and honey. He's not God. Look at this. Our, our taskmasters, we used to be able to survive. Now they've made it harder for us. My children, who I've told over and over and over again, God's going to deliver us. He's going to redeem us. And, and it's just getting harder and harder. And men and women stronger than you and I have failed, who've had trust in the Lord, have failed under the weight of unfulfilled promises. But God gives life to the dead. Please sign up for the Passover. If you say, Scott, I've already been to a Passover Seder. Do you know that God instructed the children of Israel to do it every year? <laughs> What if one of them said, Lord, I, I did it last year. No, there's a reason why you do it every year. God wants us to remember his deeds. God wants us to remember so that when we get into another impossible situation as a Jewish people or as the church, we can remember how he delivered his children out of an impossible situation in Egypt. We can remember how God made an impossible promise to Abraham. Wait for the appointed time. I'm going to, you guys have some scriptures up there, but I want to just fast forward to Genesis chapter 18. We're going to skip over some scriptures. Genesis chapter 18. Abraham is 99. Say 99. 99. God actually changed his name when he was 99 years old. I want to read this scripture to you. Genesis chapter 18. Verse 9. Before we get to that, let me just say this. Abraham's 99. It's stinking hot. It's the heat of the day. And three men who he's never seen before start coming by. There's no AC back in those days. You guys live in Dallas. I've lived here before. You know what it's like in the middle of the summer with air conditioning. Try a desert without air conditioning. 99 years old. If I'm 99, I would want somebody waving palm branches over me while I'm in my hammock. Oh, Scott, you doing okay? Yeah, I'm doing okay. In the heat of day, Abraham sees three guys he's never seen before. One of them happened to be God himself. I'm writing a book right now on hospitality. <laughs> Anywhere you see hospitality in scripture, you see life. Anywhere. Abraham showed hospitality to these three guys. What if Abraham would have said, I'll just let these guys go to the next tent over and offer them a meal? You have Lot showing hospitality to two angels who are two men. Angels don't show up, by the way, with halos and wings. You have no idea the people that God may be sending your way. Uncommon church, can I encourage you? Be a church of hospitality. Rahab the harlot. You got a prostitute, a prostitute showing hospitality to two spies and she's written about in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith because of her hospitality. If a prostitute can be memorialized in the new covenant for showing hospitality, but what happened? She and her family, life. First Kings 17, Elijah Shows up and there's a widow on her last meal. And he asks her for some water and some bread. She said, oh, I can't give you this bread. This is for me and my son. We're going to eat it and die. That's how desperate they were. They show hospitality to Elijah. Her son dies. Elijah raises him from the dead. What if, what if she would have said, I'm sorry, Elijah. This is my last meal. I'm not sharing it with anybody. The Shunammite woman, 
I'm not preaching on hospitality today. I just got to tell this to you. Shunammite woman sees somebody coming by, perceives he may be a prophet, builds a chamber for him so she and her husband can show this man hospitality. He says, what do you want? Can I, can I introduce you to the king? I'm sorry. No, please don't introduce me to the king. I just don't have a son. And Elisha says, this time next year, you're going to have a son. Throughout scripture, everywhere you see hospitality, you see life. That was an aside for Genesis 18. These three guys show up. Let me just read this to you. Verse nine. They said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? He said, behold, in the tent, he said, I will surely return to you at this time next year. By the way, there's only two times in scripture where this time next year appears, and both of them resulted in impossible babies being born. This time next year, that phrase needs to be just flowing inside. Who knows what this year holds, Francis? Who knows that the depth of the impossibility of what you're walking through right now. It may be a sickness. It may be, it may be a relational schism. It may be an unfulfilled promise. This time next year. <laughs> I will surely return to you at this time next year. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age, Sarah was past childbearing. Okay, listen. Abraham's 99, Sarah's 89. Romans 4 says Abraham's body, listen closely, was as good as dead. That's pretty bad if you're trying to have kids. Sarah's body, not only was she barren, but now she was beyond the age of bearing children, which means that there were no eggs left in her womb to be fertilized. So she was barren, but now, now she's gone through menopause. I'm not a doctor, but from what I understand is once those eggs are gone, you're, you're done. You don't, you don't need anything to prevent you from having children once you've become rid of life. And that's when these guys show up. You got it. Mr. Dead, <laughs> you got Mrs. Dead, and God says, this time next year. Friends, what can God do in one year? What can he do in a day? What can he do in a moment? He's the God who gives life to the dead. And when I think about this and when I think about Israel, you need to hear me. I'm just going to sit here just for one second. Listen to this. Every wife of Ab every wife, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God calls himself the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know something? Each of their wives were barren. Think about it. Sarah was barren. Rebecca was barren. Rachel was barren. <laughs> the lineage of Jesus really starts with the impossibility of birth because he's the God who gives life to the dead. Friends, I'm telling you, we believe in God who gives life to the dead and speaks into being that which does not exist. In closing, I'd like you to stand. <laughs> Check this out. Worship team, you, you can come up. I want to read you a scripture from the book of Romans. And before I do that, I'm going to just read this one other scripture, Genesis chapter 21 Verses one to five, listen closely. The Lord took note of Sarah as he had promised. The Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time. You guys see this right here? At the appointed time. Wow. <laughs> I've never seen myself like that before. At... <laughs> I'm actually dizzy and I'm not joking. <laughs> At the appointed time. Friends, there's an appointed time for God's fulfillment to come to your promises. And in the midst of the impossible situation you find yourselves in, I just want to tell you something. 
As surely as I'm standing here, Isaac was born. As surely as I'm standing here, Jesus, Yeshua was born. As surely as I'm standing here, Romans 11, 11 is going to come to pass. Listen to this. The church has written off Israel. I love that you prayed for Israel today. Verse 15 of Romans 11. For if Israel's rejection of Jesus is the reconciliation of the world. Just stop right there. Look this way. Because Israel rejected Jesus, you're all here. God reconciled the world, every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to himself. If Israel's rejection is why you are here. Look, I just, I'm friends with some large ministries and I see their crusade videos where there are millions of people Listening to the gospel, you know why that is? That's because Israel rejected Jesus. The gospel goes to the nations. People being healed and delivered, baptizing today. That's life from the dead. That's life from the dead. If Israel's rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will Israel's acceptance be but life from the dead? You can look in the book of... Ezekiel, and you can read Ezekiel 37, the chapter of dry bones. Listen, that's who God is. We think resurrection after one day, two days, three days is pretty miraculous. And oh, let me tell you, it is. But how about resurrection from bones that have been dead for ages? They're not even connected to anything anymore. They don't have skin on them. And God brings them together and forms a great army. <laughs> These are the people of Israel. Friends, we've got to get a grid for Israel. Israel's been written off because of its barren wasteland. Mark Twain visited Israel. And he, said, he said this in his writing. He said, who would ever live in this God-forsaken wasteland? I don't see a living being anywhere. It's all just dry and dead. Well, God chose that place. Because he's attracted to things that are dead. So that you can look and say, look what God did today. Israel is the, one of the largest distributors of fruits and flowers in the Middle East. A dry, barren wasteland. Now a, now a fruitful plain teeming with life. You may be here today and you might be saying, Scott, what you just said is good for those who believe in Jesus, but I don't. Friends, today's the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you hear his word, do not harden your heart. We're talking about Passover. Pharaoh was someone whose heart was hardened because he didn't respond to the Lord when he was pushing on him and inviting him to let the children of Israel go. He said no over and over and over again. And you can only say no a certain amount of times before your heart is unwilling to be receptive to the gospel. God brought you here today and he brought you here to see you go from death to life. We're going to be receiving the Lord's Supper here in a minute, which actually is the Passover Seder. The Last Supper was a Passover meal. But before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity to say, Lord, I give you my life. I believe you're the God that gives life to the dead. My life has been dead because I've not had you in it. And if you're here today, we want to welcome you not just to the uncommon church family, but we want to welcome you to the family of God as you say yes to Jesus. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ask if there's anybody here tonight, today, it's still day. <laughs> Glad it's not night because I'd have been preaching for a long time. If you're here and you say, Scott, I, I don't know. I've never given my heart and my life to Jesus. Who gave his life? By the way, think of Jesus himself. <laughs> life from the dead. You're here and you say, Scott, I don't know Jesus. I want to give him my life today. I just want to ask you to raise your hand high so I can see it. Is there anybody? We don't have any services here without giving an opportunity for people. Somebody raise their hand over here. Can I just see it? Lift it up high. You saw a hand go up? Anybody? I didn't see a hand. If, if you're going to raise it, raise it now, and then we're going to go on and pray for somebody else, other people really quickly. Anybody here say, I want Jesus 
I want to give him my life today so that I can live. Anybody? Okay, then I'm going to assume you are all believers and followers of Jesus. There may be some of you here today who, are, who, who say I'm living with promises that are not only empty and unfulfilled, but seem absolutely impossible. I want to pray for you. Whether it's a womb that needs to be opened, whether it's a doctor's prognosis that needs the Lord's prognosis, whether it's relationships that have gone south that you know that God is desiring for you to rekindle, even if it's a deadness in your heart where your relationship with the Lord is concerned. Today, I believe in God who gives life to the dead. Would you just lift your hands with me? Then Pastor Brad, you can come on up. Let's lift our hands. You know, lifting your hands is a posture of prayer that I love. Bible talks about praying on your knees. Some of the Bible talks about with hands lifted high. I just want you guys to start opening your mouths and, and, and praying out. Come on, pray. The Lord desires to hear our prayers. Let's glorify the Lord now. Father, in Jesus' name, with our hands lifted towards you, we say, great God, we believe you're the God who gives life to the dead. I pray that you would look down on this congregation today. Lord, every barren womb in the spirit and in the natural, I pray, great God, faith to believe. Faith to believe you're the God who gives life to the dead. Lord, for those of us who are holding on to promises that are not yet fulfilled, I pray, great God, spark life inside of us. Lord, may we believe in God who gives life to the dead. We say, great God, nothing is impossible. Uncommon church is anything impossible for the Lord. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Breathe your life, the life of God. We yield to you, Father. We say, have your way. In the midst of our barrenness, we say, great God, we're looking to you. We're not going to dummy down your promises. We're not going to fulfill your word in our own flesh. We're waiting for your appointed time. Abraham hoped against hope. <laughs> and he did not grow weary in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully assured, uncommon say fully assured, fully assured that what God has promised, he will bring it to pass. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Uncommon Church Podcast. If this message has impacted your life, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. And for more information on our church community, you can click the link in the description or visit uncommonchurch.tv.